All right, we're back in Acts chapter 13. We didn't quite finish the entire story um, last time about Pisidian Antioch. We're the first really big city that in Asia Minor that Paul and Barnabas go to. So we're going to be looking at that today. Um, you know that spreading the good news about Jesus Christ is seldom without some level of trouble. So uh, it's not usually very easy. So there are the usual reasons. I mean the gospel itself threatens existing cultural norms and traditions and belief systems and people resist that obviously. Often people believe it actually threatens community unity. Um, you start bringing in another religion, another faith and it divides people and takes away from the common religious beliefs that a lot of cultures have. Um, some people believe the gospel threatens their very safety because it angers the local gods to suddenly turn to a new god and that causes people to be angry towards Christians and sometimes violent. Our friend Lankantong uh, Lianza in India has dealt with that. He's been personally beaten <laughs> taking the gospel to tribal areas where the, the, they worship many many gods and his evangelistic teams have faced that as well. In fact there's been portions of villages that became believers and were literally threatened with having their houses pushed into the river and the, uh, the people killed or driven out and a lot of negotiation had to go on with some of those things so those things still go on in the world today there's nothing new about it um, in the west it's more ridicule and mockery and uh, now more laws being passed to hem in Christian work but um, we still have a lot more freedom to, to speak so we should do so. So we're going to touch on a lot of issues today that the apostles had to de deal with in taking the gospel to the world. Um, whenever the gospel goes to new lands um, there are those who receive the good news with joy and we're going to see that today. And those who wish to destroy it and we're going to see that today as well. So you know usually we think of America as sort of a Christian nation but if you read the diaries of preachers that worked the frontier in America and by frontier and the western frontier in those days was like uh, what we call the Northwest Territories or Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, that zone. The preachers that tamed the west there dealt with a lot of opposition. Um, there's a great book by a man named Peter Cartwright, a Methodist uh, circuit writing preacher and he just has incredible stories. He Every time they had camp meetings, well very frequently there would be rowdies that would try to bust it up or wreck it or hurt the preachers because mainly just because they despised it all and had nothing better to do with their time. They'd get plastered and then come and make a lot of trouble. And some of those preachers like uh, Peter Cartwright, they physically fought these guys uh, to hold their meetings. So um, it's not quite that bad for Paul and Barnabas today. And I don't think they would physically fight to have their uh, place in a meeting anyway. But anyway it's always there's always been opposition to the gospel. So um, today uh, I think China and Iran are have the fastest growing churches in the world. And those are also the countries that have the most heavy persecution. And that all comes from fear. Uh, we know Satan inspires anything that's opposed to the gospel but just on a human level men hate that Jesus should take precedence over whatever the prevailing authorities are and in a communist country like China or an Islamic country like Iran uh, they don't want Jesus to be first in anybody's heart in their country. So there's a lot of violent opposition, imprisonment, torture in both those countries. Uh, it's pretty serious. They fear they fear Jesus so they hate 
and act with hatred towards believers. And that's true in many segments of our society as well. They hate what the gospel represents. So in many ways that hatred is really based just on fear. Fear was at the heart of the hatred of the religious leaders of Israel um, regarding Jesus himself in his own ministry. He exposed what was lacking in their traditions and how their religion was designed by them to support and justify their own sin. They did not like to hear that. So yes there was a direct challenge to their authority by Jesus but more than that it, it exposed them as ungodly and they had built this whole world around them this whole religious system around them so that people would perceive them as godly but Jesus knew they were not godly and he called them out and so they hated him for that. So the pattern is really the same whether you're in a new territory of um, people that have never heard about the true God or if you're in a country like Israel which had so many blessings and benefits because they did have the scriptures and the covenants and the promises in the covenant and they should have known better. I mean they had so much light but you know the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 66 um, to this one will I look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word and they wouldn't do that they would not tremble at the words of God in the person of God the son so had they humbled themselves then he would have welcomed them brought them to a place where they could truly serve God in an honorable and true way and serve the well-being of the people they claimed to be shepherds of. So all of that could have happened had they accepted Jesus. So the human heart it's very dark and it can turn religion into hatred against Christ because of pride and jealousy and things like that. The human heart in pagan lands uh, finds other reasons to despise the gospel like we talked about there but it's all fear based really. If you follow Christ our local gods will be angry that's what they would say or of course the local priests and shamans are going to lose their influence and their income will be diminished so there's all kinds of selfish motives that are at work there. Power, pride, vanity um, they're, they're everywhere everywhere you go and those things are always challenged by Jesus um, whether it's in a synagogue or in a pagan temple. So that said last time we looked at the impact of Paul's sermon in the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch and the result was great. I mean any preacher would be happy with the response of his hearers to the first time the gospel message was proclaimed in that place. In Acts chapter 13 verse 42 it says as Paul and Barnabas were going out the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up many of the Jews and the God fearing proselytes those are Gentiles that attend synagogue followed Paul and Barnabas who speaking to them were urging them to continue in the grace of God. So we know they preached the grace of God and they're saying this is what you've heard today what you're excited about you need to stay with that. And many there that day not only asked for them to come back and teach them more about Jesus but some followed them out hoping for just every little bit more. So they're going to come back on the next Sabbath that's the plan but what do you think is going to be happening all that week? Well all of these excited people who followed them you know that Paul and Barnabas are going to spend time with them, eat with them, share more about Christ, share more about the gospel. So all of that's going to be happening. So I don't think they put them off and said oh yeah we'll talk to you next Saturday. I I think that was going on all through that week there. 
we know Paul he's going to take any chance he can get right so he's going to be back on it the next day not wait all the way to the Sabbath but on the Sabbath he's going to have a great opportunity to get the whole congregation not just those who are more intently interested. Now I do think there was opposition on the first day not everybody liked what they heard. Paul did end his sermon remember with this really strong warning from the book of Habakkuk and you can see it there in verse 41 behold you scoffers and marvel and perish for I am accomplishing a work in your days a work which you will never believe though someone should describe it to you. And uh, I suspect he added that because some did have a scoffing manner or attitude or facial expressions or something. Um, any aware preacher can kind of tell what's going on in the crowd and noticing people that are listening intently and people that are zoned out of their heads and people that are kind of angry or upset with what's being spoken. So um, there was interest and I guess we could say there was a lack thereof or, or a uh, hostile interest even. So while Paul ends with a warning the missionaries do receive a really great response. Well so a week goes by a lot happens the, the word is out it's the talk of the town. So this synagogue was pretty influential it's, it's really in the heart of the city and it's right across the street literally from the great temple that worships Augustus Caesar. So people would have been around there all the time and they had a lot of Gentiles attending that synagogue. And everybody in town seems interested. Um, but part of the Jewish community is upset with what's going on with all this talk. Uh, including Gentiles by faith uh, that Paul preached. The whole idea of the law of Moses not being a source of freedom but of bondage. They would have maybe responded about that. These are all new ideas and they're rather radical to a typical Jew in those days. So the synagogue leaders and the others talk between the Sabbaths so waiting for the second Sabbath day when Paul and Barnabas are going to come back they start developing their arguments um, against what Paul and Barnabas are teaching. So verse 44 says it takes us to that next Saturday the next Sabbath nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Uh, so the Jews see a large crowd assembling and they start trouble and it becomes factious. The Jewish leaders not only dispute what Paul and Barnabas are saying they, they were actually blaspheming Christ. They were talking down Jesus. So it's not clear that Paul really gets to preach very much on this next Sabbath day this other day. It kind of reads like he doesn't get very far or doesn't get to say very much. It's sort of like a politically incorrect speaker showing up on a modern university campus in America and the people that come in and chant and shout and scream and try to keep them from saying their thing. It sounds like a scene a little bit like that. So um, Luke ascribes the motive of the synagogue leaders to jealousy. Jealousy. He doesn't say where this meeting took place but if nearly the whole city attended they probably would not have fit in the synagogue it would probably was not in the synagogue at least a lot of scholars think it was not so if interest was that high they may have moved the meeting to the theater which is just a little farther down the road um, in Pisidian Antioch and there's a large theater there it, at, the, at this time in the first century it would hold about 5,000 people they made it even bigger later but 5,000 people that's a lot of people so if nearly all the city or a large portion of the city came there could have been thousands of people come to hear Paul and Barnabas just from the talk going on there's something new happening around here. So 
the Jewish community, um, they never had that many people coming to synagogue before. So they're provoked in terms of their importance and they're looking at the wrong thing. Uh, You know, we think that Jews don't evangelize, but they did in those days. We think that way because modern Jews don't evangelize. Uh, They don't try to win people to their faith. The only time in my whole life that I've had somebody actually um, approach me to win me over to Judaism, a Jewish evangelist, they asked me if I was Jewish and when I said no, they weren't interested in me at all. They were just trying to get, they wanted to know if I was Jewish, if I would join their particular group or some kind of a Jewish cult group or some special rabbi or something like that. So as soon as I I said I I wasn't Jewish, they they dropped me like a hot potato. But uh, um, Jesus said that the Pharisees, quote, travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. So they did evangelize. It's kind of an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Because they wouldn't eat in a Gentile house, but they did want them to come and hear about God. In fact, Jesus' full quote there, it's in Matthew 23, 15. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Well, that's not a very complimentary expression to use with them. So Jesus wasn't impressed with what they were accomplishing. They were getting people to come, but they weren't giving them the truth. They were giving them their own version of it, which was very inaccurate. So it was an interesting time. Gentiles were welcome in the synagogue. They were not welcome in their home. It's that kind of a thing. So there's a big lesson here. This whole, this whole thing, this uh, rather than rejoicing that more Gentiles were going to hear about the true God, it, they make it a religious contest. Uh, and they're losing the contest so they're angry and uh, they, they turn against Paul and Barnabas. So the lesson is watch out for yourself in, in terms of uh, relationships with others and, and people that are in ministry. We, we must always be aware of our own emotions. In fact, anytime there's a conflict, you wanna be very aware of your own emotions and your own internal desires, what's driving the conflict on your side of it, uh, are they pure motives or are they uh, impure motives? And sometimes churches get into many wars within them because people are um, claiming to be standing up for the truth, but sometimes their motives are, are very wrong and that makes things turn out in a really destructive way. We've been spared that at our church for all these decades, but it happens a lot actually. So what you want to do is evaluate yourself. Be aware of your own emotions. Is it personal with me or am I standing for the truth truly? It's very easy to let personal feelings get in the way. And these men, they could have taken a much more cautious approach to the apostles, their proclamation about Jesus. They could have said, let's see what this is. Paul the first Sabbath he was here, he referenced a whole lot of scriptures. Let's sit down with, the, with those and look at those scriptures and think this through. But um, that's not what they did. The, the interest level in the gospel was so high amongst the population that their emotions overtook them and they felt jealousy instead of interest or um, pursuing the truth or anything like that. Those are sinful emotions. Jealousy is a sinful emotion. 
so it's a selfishness it's a kind of selfishness taking over the heart and then expressing itself in your thinking and in your words and all of your attitudes so it, it jealousy drives out wisdom wrong emotions drive out wisdom it's pride really and so the desire to hold one's own status or or power uh, rises above all other considerations when that should be at the bottom of any consideration about what's right or true or anything like that but it's a common human failing isn't it in many many spheres of life and since that jealousy is winning here they see Paul and Barnabas as competition Um, and instead of what they actually were which is God's messengers with wonderful news they they couldn't hear that because their hearts were wrong so it gets pretty nasty and Luke tells us there he was they were even blaspheming they were um, attacking Christ himself now how do Paul and Barnabas respond they respond with boldness they're not timid they're not cowering verse 46 Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life behold we are turning to the Gentiles whoa notice that word boldly let's talk about that a little bit so obviously these are men of courage courage is an absolutely essential quality for a believer it always has been uh, it, it's more pronounced the need for it's more pronounced when the culture is against you that's why uh, people now are talking a lot about courage in the Christian church Alistair Begg just wrote a book on um, courage and being brave and um, we can't be ashamed of the gospel or of Jesus or the truth we can't be cowed by an unbelieving world whether the opposition is religious or secular it doesn't make any difference we can't let that change what we do or what we're going to say and the boldness with which we say it we've got to be upfront with people we live in a culture that to be a faithful Christian is regarded as a, being a bad person that's how the in major institutions of our society regard us Hollywood academia the media uh, all of that so we're the bad guys you got to be nobody wants to be a bad guy so you got to be brave to be truthful when people think you're the bad guy when you're actually the good guy so it takes a lot of courage to do that nobody wants to be disliked but Jesus was very disliked and he said the servant is not greater than his master so we have to be used to that and ready for that the sexual revolution has completely reshaped the minds of people in some very bizarre but very passionate ways and so anything against that is going to be hated and feared and put down and that's us that's us because God made things a certain way and we're with him the way he made things so without courage you can't serve God in this culture but courage is courage is essential to virtue generally Uh, because human beings are sinners so you have to have courage if you're going to be right and just virtuous as a human being Um, sinners are they have a bent away from virtue and they don't like it they mock it they make fun of it and there's so much sin in the world and in every human heart including our own hearts that sin can even infiltrate churches and it has to be boldly faced there's a, a quote from Winston Churchill he said without courage all virtues lose their meaning so think about that without 
courage, all virtues lose their meaning. I don't think Mr. Churchill was a Christian, but he does recognize that courage is needed for virtue because human nature is so frequently opposed to virtue. You don't have to be a Christian. You just have to be sort of a good observer to notice that the world does not really approve of virtue in practice. It gives lip service to virtue, but it doesn't practice virtue very well. And when virtue is really present, it tends to be angry with it and hate it. So maybe it's not right to say human nature is opposed to virtue so much as human nature is quick to drop virtue um, for self-centered concerns or reasons. People will say they're virtuous, maybe think they're virtuous, but if something else comes along that they want to do, they'll drop the virtue. Or if there's pressure, they'll drop the virtue. Humans don't have the strength to preserve virtue because we're just too prone to compromise. That's, their, that's human nature. Or we bow to mob pressure or social pressure or peer pressure or, uh, or we're afraid to lose our jobs or lower income or anything like that. So we see that now happening in our society. C.S. Lewis actually said it even better than Winston Churchill. He said, courage is not simply one of the virtues but the form of every virtue at the testing point which means at the point of highest reality. In other words when virtue really matters and the most important places where it matters you've got to have courage because it will be opposed and if you don't have courage then there's no virtue there. It's an essential element of virtue. So every good thing needs courage behind it or evil wins. The truth is suppressed or twisted out of all recognition. So you have to have courage to believe the truth and tell the truth because human nature finds the truth abhorrent. That's the reality of our world. You can't fear man. So Paul and Barnabas are bold. Let's look what they say boldly in verse 46. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Talking to the Jews there. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So Israel did have the gospel first. I mean, Jesus came to that country, his own people, um, and gave the good news there. In fact, Jesus almost never, he did a few times, but really rarely set out foot outside Israel proper, actually the land of Israel. There's a couple times he went a little further north and take a break or something like that. But generally all of his work was done in Israel proper. When he sent out the disciples two by two to preach the kingdom of God, he told them go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matthew 10:6. And later when a Canaanite woman wanted a miracle from Jesus and was chasing after him and yelling to him, he told the disciples, he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's Matthew 15:24. He wasn't going to help her at first. It didn't seem like, of course he does eventually do that, but um, but that's what he wanted them to get, that Israel was first. Israel was first. Israel first was the theme of Jesus' ministry and it was the theme of the apostles' ministry for the first years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So it was right that the church focused on Israel first. Um, they were the covenant people. They are the chosen people. Now we know Jesus called Paul in Acts chapter 9 and specifically commissioned him to go to the Gentiles. That was his special call. But Paul sought to reach the Jews as well and um, they were his people after all and actually it was the mission strategy. We talked about 
synagogues and cities or cities and synagogues however you want to say it but they would go to key cities and they would start in the synagogue so the Jews would hear but they knew Gentiles would be there too in these pagan um, communities and uh, outside of Israel these communities in the broader parts of the Roman Empire so um, with that strategy he could offer the gospel to his own people going to the synagogue of each city that had one and then start his gospel proclamation there and they would hear it first along with those few Gentiles that would be with them and they would hear it first because they're God's favored people and those to whom God's holy law was given they have all of these privileges so he came Jesus came for anybody who wants him and anybody humble enough to recognize their need and embrace him by faith he becomes their Lord and Savior. Jesus is a Savior. Many of the people there that day when Paul and Barnabas preached in the synagogue I assume uh, the God fearers of the synagogue put their faith in Jesus mostly the mostly God fearers but some Jews did too. But Luke the theologian makes sure we understand that this response was a work of God from eternity. So the last words of verse 48 are and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. The Bible is really clear that God chose his own before the foundation of the world. And that's why Jesus said in John chapter 6 verse 65 no one can come to me unless the father it is granted him from the father. So those the father has chosen come to Jesus and there's a good number and there was a good number there on that day the first day they came and preached and then the second day even they had some impact as well. So that excitement from the Gentiles was contagious verse 49 says and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. So it worked without despite the opposition and the hostility of the Jewish leaders um, it started to work. Now most scholars believe verse 48 is really intended to suggest that time has gone by because verse 49 sounds like a lot's been going on outside of Pisidian Antioch and the surrounding communities. So some speculate they may have been there several months um, from that second Sabbath day. So the key city is the hub for the communication and outreach of the gospel to go into the surrounding communities. That's happening. The gospel is advancing. The work is going forward. But those who hate the gospel have been at work as well. So whatever the details are that happened on that second Sabbath day it it became contentious and factious and the opposition became stronger and worked hard to get the leaders of the community, the city leaders, the community leaders of Pisidian Antioch to turn aggressively against Paul and Barnabas. So verse 50, but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So what sort of things do you think they would say against Paul and Barnabas the missionaries? What would they say against them? Uh, Well back in verse 44 it says they were blaspheming Christ. You can kind of guess what they would say. Remember Pisidian Antioch is a Roman colony. These are dedicated Roman citizens there. So it's pretty easy to malign Jesus in a very Roman city. Um, The most powerful people there were Roman to the core and not just in part of a subservient state to the empire. They were a Roman colony. They were Roman people. They they worshipped Caesar. They worshipped him there. The biggest temple there was to him. So the Jews easily could have said this Jesus they're talking about 
Do you know about him? He's a notorious anti-Roman. He's a malefactor. He was put to death by the governor of Judea because of the trouble that he made there. He was killed by a Roman governor. And these guys are trying to proclaim him as some sort of savior of the world. That would be really easy to do that with a Roman crowd. And his followers, they call him Lord and King. In fact, when he was crucified, he was crucified for claiming to be a king in the place of Caesar. So that would have been pretty easy to raise those arguments with the leaders of the city. It'd be easy to portray the faith as wicked, harmful, destructive to the order of the empire. And who's doing all this uh, persecution? Well, Luke mentions the people that instigated it, prominent women and leading men he says. We're going to see prominent women again in Thessalonica in the book of Acts. They do something very similar there. So Roman women didn't really wield much power in Roman society but they had the power behind the scenes to influence people. It's like uh, we think of Muslim women as being really oppressed and sometimes they're held in their house or kept in the backyard and nobody's allowed to even see their face but They know how to work their husbands those ladies. So it's not like they have no influence. And something like that is going on here. These women may well have. Some of them may have well have attended this synagogue. And um, but they are likely Gentiles. But they agree that Paul and Barnabas are bad characters. The ones that don't believe in Jesus. And they use their influence to have them driven out of the city. So look there you go. Cancel culture. They had it. They had it back then too. Cancel culture. You know what that is right? Cancel culture is when everybody's supposed to hate you because of your opinions. That's what's going on in our world today. Even the author of Harry Potter got canceled. So she got attacked by everyone. She's on the bad list. She's a bad person because she said that you know men really can't become women. That doesn't really work. So canceled. She was canceled. Anyway. um, Because cancel culture is such a real thing and it's aimed at us. Uh, the other point about this and we've talked about this before is you have a profound obligation to what Peter said in his little epistle keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. They shouldn't have anything bad to say about you except that you're telling the truth. That, that should be the only bad thing they have to say. Your attitude, your tone, the way you treat people they shouldn't have anything bad there. They should only hate you for the truth. That's a really important idea. So dealing with cancel culture as a Christian is not to fear being canceled. You need to be bold and brave but not to be obnoxious. You should not be an obnoxious Christian because then they've got a reason, a real reason to despise you and don't give them those. Don't give them real reasons. Dealing with cancel culture means being consistently godly. That's what it means. That's always been important but it's more important now than at other times perhaps. It's really important that the world see and reject authentic Christianity not some caricature that you're living up to because you're, you're behaving badly and you're angry and you mock people and you mistreat people. You don't want to have that going on. They should see an authentic Christianity in you and reject that. That's what needs to happen. So Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas don't compromise at all in their faith or their behavior but they do when they're expelled do a very Jewish thing. Verse 51 they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. So they shake the dust off. Wow. 
you know that is not a bad thing to do it sounds a little angry but um, it's a well understood symbolic act of okay you rejected us you are rejected by God and we have nothing to do with what you're about in fact Jesus told the 12 apostles to do just that very thing when he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God Matthew 10 14 whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city shake the dust off your feet that was him that's what he said truly I say to you it will be more tolerable for that land of for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city that's a pretty strong condemnation so this is a Jesus thing to shake the dust off your feet and it's a declaration of how serious this rejection of Christ is doesn't mean that Paul and Barnabas are done with Pisidian Antioch they're going to come back there's a, there's a little church there and it's going great and the gospel's going out to surrounding communities so they're not going to stay away but shaking the dust off their feet is an announcement to the persecution those instigating and leading the persecution that they are in trouble that this is not a good thing for them that they are opposing Christ personally but now Paul says um, they've judged themselves unworthy of eternal life and they've done that by letting their jealousy keep them from listening further they've shut themselves off from the Savior and he only is the source of eternal life so they've closed that out for themselves so you can't get mad at God for not saving you from eternal death if you don't like what he did to bring you eternal life if you're going to reject that you've got one expectation for your future and that is eternal death it's outer darkness exclusion from the kingdom of God if you can't humble yourself you cannot be saved so if your heart's not moved by the suffering of Jesus in your place as your savior then you deem yourself unworthy to benefit from the sacrifice that he made for your sins so don't blame God that he didn't do enough because he did everything you just don't want it if you don't want him to have it you have to have him there's a reason that C.S. Lewis said that hell is locked from the inside and there's some truth to that people don't want to be with God so they get to be where he doesn't manifest his glorious and warm presence okay well um, so Paul is bold uh, they need to hear plainly what rejection means here and this is only the this is only the first time that Paul actually talks this way to the Jewish people this this rejection and open hostility is going to dog Paul all through his missionary efforts so to, when he says I am going to the Gentiles or I'm turning to the Gentiles he's going to say something very much like that to the Jews in chapter 18 and he's going to say something very much like that at the end of the book of Acts it's kind of the summary thing of the end of the book of Acts that he's turning to the Gentiles so not all Jews rejected Jesus but many did most did it's really the final rejection of God that we see throughout the whole Old Testament where there's always only a remnant of true believers and those that are going to be faithful to the living God of Israel so uh, it's always just a few who believe that's true amongst the Gentile world too there's always a remnant of Jews but it is a remnant and a remnant is just a part right a, a small part of the whole so this is going to change it's not always going to be that way at the end of the age 
God is going to save many, many, many Jewish people. God is going to pour out his spirit, Zechariah tells us, on the Jews just before Christ returns to set up his kingdom. So there's a lot of hope for them as a people. There will be uh, at the center of the world a, a righteous kingdom and Jerusalem will be the capital of that righteous kingdom and God's chosen people Israel will populate that kingdom. So there's wonderful things coming for them. So many Old Testament prophecies tell us about that. And God is going to keep his promises. Okay then, verse 46, Paul and Barnabas um, also said something that absolutely delighted some of the Gentiles present. So they say, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. And then they go on, verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. So Christ brought salvation for all peoples to the very end of the world. And as for these new Christians, they are happy. They're very happy. They understand what the coming of Christ into the the world really means. And the Spirit of God has given them faith to apprehend the beauty and the glory of Christ and the wonder of his salvation. God has opened their eyes and their hearts to that. So verse 52 says that the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So, In chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are going to move on to the next city and the next synagogue. Adventures await. Pretty interesting things happen in chapter 14. Have you ever had anybody believe that you were a god? Me either. That doesn't happen to me usually. In fact, it's never happened. I can't even imagine that happening. But they're going to have quite the experience with that. So stay tuned. Let's pray. Father we see here the need for boldness and a kind of boldness that has integrity with it and compassion and love. Your light has to shine brightly in us and we must have courage because we live in a dark world and you've given us a message for that dark world and some are going to love it but many are going to reject it and there might be hostility great hostility even. So we ask for you to give us strength and courage for the day in which you've put, placed us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll be in chapter 14 next time.